0: This episode of Test as Island Discs is sponsored by Test Project, the world's first 100% free test automation platform for web, Android, iOS, and API testing. They've just launched their major 2.0 next generation release, enabling their 100,000 plus users to enjoy the best of both worlds and operate on either their hybrid cloud or completely offline. Whether you need the simplicity of a cloud solution or the control of hosting tests locally, Test Project has got you covered, making it easier for testers and developers to ensure quality with speed, eliminating maintenance and setup hassles and empowering Selenium and Appium with AI self-healing technology. By fostering a collaborative community that can come together as individuals and in teams, Test Project is shaping the future of software testing and helping teams overcome testing challenges with ease and deliver flawless products. For more information visit testproject.io or click the link in the episode description. Welcome to Tester's Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Tester's Island Discs, where today my special guest on the desert island is Lena Zubita. Lena has experience in a variety of test roles. She's worked as a test manager, a consultant, and a mentor, and currently is the head of quality for Doodle in Germany. Her career has come a long way, not just in terms of job roles, but geographically as well. She's originally from Lithuania, and she's also worked previously in Sweden and Hungary. And she describes herself as someone who is passionate about human connections, driving social change, and promoting feminism, diversity, and inclusion. Welcome to the podcast, Lena. Thank you. Hello there. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. You you describe yourself as being something of an adventurer, and I can see that in terms of the number of places you've traveled to. Uh, What leads the way for you? Is it the career opportunity or the chance to work in a particular country?
1: Actually, I have so many stories about uh, my journeys and what led me there. And usually it is uh, work opportunities. And very often it's some kind of meeting a person who changes your life and you don't even mm-hmm. realize. And uh, it has happened to me with my recent change to Germany. I was speaking in Ireland And an organizer um, saw me in the corner munching on honey and tea because I lost my voice and I was speaking on the second day and introduced me to someone. And that someone actually um, suggested me to move to Germany. And I said, no, I don't like Germany. I don't want to move there. But I ended up moving there just because of the company and the the job opportunity. So very often I go with the flow. Uh, It's not uh, just uh, the country I chose. Um, It's maybe a job chooses me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so many of these things in life are serendipitous. It's like, what were what the chances of X, Y and Z happening and these things just do? Uh, you mentioned, obviously, this an opportunity that came your way when you were in Ireland. Uh, you must be someone who has been particularly struggling during during the, uh, the pandemic in the past year or so. And as someone who likes to move around so much and get around so much, how in particular have you been coping?
1: Actually, my mom uh, at the start of the pandemic said, wow, you know, it's been so long that you haven't been on the plane. Because she saw Mm -hmm. me as someone jumping on and off the plane. Um, But... um First, I was relieved and I was like, oh, I'm actually an introvert. So I'm I'm a very very mysterious introvert because I give an impression that I'm an extrovert. Um, And uh, first, I was relieved and uh, happy to recharge. Yet later on, I started missing conferences, the interaction, the people. um, Yet I tried to keep the connections going. And uh, one of my mom's happy moments was that at the end of the year, she said, you know, I haven't made any of my goals apart from one, I wanted to talk to you more. And uh, now the pandemic helped us to talk more to each other. Um, so that was one of the things, trying to keep connections going, even though they were far away. Uh, and another uh, thing that I rediscovered is health actually, and uh, taking care of it more and uh, trying to do workouts, even if you don't feel like it. And that's when you need it the most usually.
0: Yes, I think that's the one thing that we could say about the fact that we've now all been in this situation for so long is is we've rediscovered um, what does work for us. Um, we, we've thrown away some old ways that, that can't work right now. Uh, sadly, of course, most of those involve meeting up in person, which is, is now harder, but uh, for example, things that can move online have moved online. Some of us who want to stay in touch with family, um, actually sometimes do that more often than they could before because we're now all just a a zoom call away or a skype call away or, or whatever um i noticed you you wrote an article on your blog at the end of last year um which featured a quote that was very interesting that everyone's talking so much about wanting to to get back to normal as soon as possible but we actually need to take stock of what normal is and work out which bits of the old normal we actually want back
1: Absolutely. So I think for me, even though it was a very hard year, it also was a year where we discovered what actually matters to us and um, we could reset and also check with ourselves and our privileges um, what is there, because if this hasn't happened, Um, I I cannot even imagine myself or my life. What would I be doing right now? And now I think I got a nice uh, cold shower in a sense uh, to reflect and uh, concentrate on things that matter more.
0: And we're going to talk more about maintaining these connections as we go on through today's episode. Um, as someone who's has moved around a lot, though, uh, you've had a number of different challenges, I guess, along the way. Uh, be it uh, you know jumping into a new company and the technical challenges with getting up to speed with uh, with an organization in a, a new country, or the mental challenge of you know what's it now mean to go and live in, for example, Germany. How do you tend to approach um, potentially big challenges like that?
1: I actually love challenges. I think uh, from early days, I always uh, went for it. (laughs) And um, it's extremely frustrating, but I think it's a huge growth. And uh, that's how I see life um, happening in general. Life for me is challenges. Life is new experiences. It's getting out of the comfort zone and growing. Because that's the the one part where we can actually learn to grow when we're sometimes in these uncomfortable situations.
0: I think a lot of us have needed our comfort zones in the past year. I mean, the, it's it's there in the name, you know, stick to what to what you know best. But you're you're right; you absolutely need to to push past that if you want to advance yourself. Um, but obviously, getting out of your comfort zone means you will become. Uncomfortable. (laughs) Do you have any tips from your experiences of trying to overcome fears or doubts in your career?
1: So, one of the tips that I think of is how I started public speaking. Um, Once I went to a conference as an attendee and uh, I stayed for after drinks and I joined a circle of speakers. And uh, one of them was telling a story how they became a speaker. They said, I realized that no, you already have. And if you ask, you may get a yes. So I tried and I got accepted. And that little quote stuck with me that in general, in life, we already have a no. And if you don't, if we don't try, we don't even get an opportunity to succeed. And that is a little bit of a mind shift and how we can handle change that we can just think, okay, okay. Um, We should try it out. And then another uh, side of the coin here would be uh, this book, Yes Man, where they are talking that Mm -hmm. even if this doesn't work out, it can make a very good story uh, in a pub with your friends.
0: Yes, yeah, so I've got another podcast on the side called Screen Testing, in which we talk about movies. And uh, we had uh, Lee Rathbone, former Tester's Island Discs guest, onto the Screen Testing podcast to talk about the film version of Yes Man uh, a couple of years back. We also had a guest on this podcast a couple of months back, Deborah Reed, And she was uh, she picked her book for the island, was Shonda Rhimes, who wrote a book called Year of Yes, which I believe is, is basically the same thing as Yes Man. Again, it's her experience of what if I say yes and, and, I, and I do these things um, no matter how much it scares me.
1: Wonderful. I actually have done a yes month myself as an experiment once, and it was uh, extremely rewarding, yet scary.
0: Well, there's nothing scary about what comes next. This is the part of the podcast, Lena, where you get to introduce the first of your five songs that you want to pick. And I quite like the fact that you've picked songs based on the topics you want to talk about. So song number one that you've chosen, how does that relate to what we've been talking about so far?
1: So song number one is uh, by Sigur and it's called Hopi Pola. Sigur is an Icelandic band. And it's such a happy song, and it's also adventurous. It's very playful. Hopipola means jumping through puddles. And if you look at the music clip of it, it's so happy, and it's basically elderly people uh, being mischievous. And I feel that's what we have to um, have as a mindset in our life this playfulness and adventureness, and just enjoy each moment and jump through puddles. <laughs>
0: That's the wonderful and slightly mischievous sounds of Sigur Ross with Hopi Poller. And I mentioned at the top, Lena, that you're very passionate about making human connections. Obviously, that's something we're all struggling to get as much of as we'd like at the moment, being that we're all connecting remotely. Uh, how can you try and maintain the, the level of connection that you had in a, a face-to-face interaction when you, all you can do is see someone's webcam or sometimes not even see that?
1: I think it's very different. So we shouldn't even expect it to be the same way as it was before. It's not the same way. It's uh, challenging and difficult, yet there are ways that we could try to put in some effort and reconnect. Um, When it comes to my own friends, like we even joined a virtual pub quiz once, which was very fun. And I could even combine a team uh, of people who were based in different countries, which I couldn't have done Mm. before. And it was great to have this experience. Yet when it comes to work environment, um, I also changed jobs during the pandemic. Uh, So as a result, even the onboarding and everything was offline. Um, So even my laptop was shipped and I never had to go to the office. Um, So Mm -hmm. it has been extremely difficult uh, losing this human connection, yet... um, There are different ways. So I started having calls with everyone and just an introduction call. And even if we would end up talking about work most of the time, I made sure to leave at least five minutes and give this uh, very difficult question, which is, so who are you? And a lot of people are a little bit uh, surprised to hear this because they don't know what I mean, but I usually say, okay, you are a tester. You have worked in this company for that much uh, time, but... What defines you more than your job? What is more than this label that that you're carrying? What do you like to do? Is there something that you're extremely passionate about? And this is where the magic happens, where people start telling about their plant collection or that they are doing yoga or that they really miss dancing. And these are moments where I can definitely connect and learn a lot about people um, and even get, let's say, an album of a colleague who apparently just released an album, and uh provide feedback to them. So there, there are some ways like this, or even uh, team building events or uh, games online that could help us to break ice or have some random questions pop up. Um, there are as well some apps um, in Slack that I have seen work like a, a Donut app, which uh, connects two people and uh, just says, have a random chat with each other. And uh, we use it in the company and it has been quite nice to get to know people this way.
0: Fantastic. I'll put a link to that app in the podcast description so that everyone can uh, check that out for themselves. And if you're able to do those things uh, to keep in touch with people, I think uh, you're right. It, it works really well. It's not the same, uh, but it helps to maintain some of those relationships. The challenge that I found is when those things start to erode away, which now that we've all been working remotely for a year or so, uh, it, frankly, it's beginning to do like fewer and fewer people want to have their camera on, I'm finding, because they've, they, because they've been doing it for so much. For so long, and for example, if you're in a meeting and you want to start with some small talk, sometimes someone just shuts that down because they're in a hurry and they want to get on with the meeting, and they're, they're so focused on on the job, and that does lead to uh, an erosion of connections. And um, you actually, you you recommended a, a really good book to me about uh, about lost connections.
1: Yes, it's uh, one of my best reads actually before the pandemic, of two thousand nineteen. Um, it's uh, by Johan Hari, who says that. Uh, A lot of problems we face with anxiety and depression um, are related to the fact that we're not connected and we're not connected in different ways. So we're not connected uh, with our careers, or um, people uh, in our lives and we feel lonely and then we try to fill in the void with certain things. So he also has some um, wonderful talks about addiction even, which which was very eye-opening to me because often we get angry or upset with people in our lives who have addiction, uh, yet uh, what they're doing is they're crying out for love. So there's this mantra which says people either show love or they cry out for love. And I think this book um, is a great match for this mantra and to make us rethink how we're living our lives and how can we deepen those connections, which is the biggest challenge because often we may just say, oh, I'm so lonely and then I'm waiting for someone to knock on my door, but this is not how it happens.
0: Mm. Uh, it's a really eye-opening read Uh, as somebody who thinks he may have had some experiences with depression about five years ago i I was was never diagnosed i I never sought the help that i needed at the time it's really eye-opening into the, the nature of of what can be the cause of depression. Obviously, there is there is no one size fits all explanation of what it is. And the various different factors he goes through are very revealing. And as you say, so many of them are absolutely the situation we're in right now. So disconnection from other people, we're all feeling that quite a lot. Uh, he describes the, the act of being disconnected from nature, and we're all not able to go outside as much as we used to. So there's those, I live two miles away from some delightful green spaces that not really sure I'm supposed to go into and um, disconnection from feeling secure and and things like job security, obviously, are are at an all time low at the moment.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, there is a a very beautiful story in that book, which was that um, I think it it was uh, someone who was (laughs) a soldier, maybe, and they lost uh, their leg and they became very upset in a village yet um, there was no doctor and first they wanted to basically give them um antidepressants and be like okay you you're depressed so we understand yet in the village they gave this man a cow and uh, (laughs) (laughs) this apparently changed this man's life because um he got a different hobby and he got a meaning for his life in a sense. And uh, there is, I think, a funny saying that if if someone is upset, then just give them a cow and they will be happier. Uh, (laughs) So there's lots of different ways that meaning can come into our life, but very often it is the connection. And uh, we often want to uh, treat the symptom Yet uh, it's harder but more valuable to look at the causes of issues and prevent them.
0: Yeah, it's a really, really good read. Uh, It's not your official book selection for the island, but I think it's worth making sure that we we make a note of it. Johan Hari's Lost Connections uh, is really worth checking out if you want to learn more about how to maintain those connections, uh, not just during the pandemic, but uh, when we get back in person. Um, One of the things we're trying to do in the workplace, obviously, is we're trying to make those connections when we collaborate with people. And that collaboration can be in a number of different forms. It can be uh, within your own team with people with different uh, job roles, or it can be reaching out to people like you and other teams. Means. Again, depending on the size of your, of your company, this can be easy or difficult. And uh, for testers particularly, there's the challenge of breaking away from the stigma of being the, the so-called gatekeeper of quality. <laughs> And I guess you feel this much more in your your new position of, of a head of quality where you're slightly further removed from the actual testing process than before. You're much more sort of, uh, I guess, strategy focused, uh, a similar position to the one that I'm in right now. I'm finding it a real challenge to, to kind of learn to let go. Like I, I know what's going on, but I also know that I've got to trust other people to do that for me.
1: Yes, absolutely. That was one of my biggest learnings as well with the change of uh, uh, the role. Because when I started working, for example, in a startup, um, there were no other QAs. And I had to collaborate with other roles, which helped me grow so much and also know what's happening in the company. Uh, And then later on, when I worked uh, with other QAs, I would get uh, feedback, but I still was doing it. And yet now it is interesting as well to understand that... um, things that I know right now um, are not obvious to others. And sometimes I say it and I think, oh yeah, it will be obvious to everyone and people nod. And then I check with them after a while. And I realize that no, they don't know it yet, that they have to go through their own journey to get there. And I have to support them to get there. And I cannot do things for them that I have to just be there and uh, embrace their growth. Um, And uh, this is such a different mindset than I had before. So it can be quite a challenge.
0: A lot of it is about pointing people in the right direction and then just keeping one eye on them. I, I have a small child and it's, it's it's surprisingly similar. Like I want him to go and explore, but I also I'm not going to turn my back because it could go horribly wrong. Yeah. It's, it's more about just just giving them the chance to learn for themselves, but being there if if you if they need you.
1: There's such a balance as well because there's this uh, uh, inkling to just say, "Oh yeah, it's there. You do it. You take it." But uh, It's not how learning works. Learning works by failing and actually learning for yourself and having your own mistakes.
0: I've had the same thing just just, just today in my team um, where there's been a ticket on our board that's been ready for testing. I'm like, I, I, I know exactly what that is and exactly how to test that. But I also know this one other person who really needs some more experience with that. So I'm just, I'm going to let it wait because it, it will keep. And, and uh, I just need to resist because in the long term, it's better that I I let them, them grow for themselves because otherwise I just end up doing 10 jobs at once.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I actually uh, recently wrote down on a post-it and put this post-it on my desk, 80 slash 20, which means that I should listen 80% of the time and 20, speak 20% of the time, which helped me a lot not to overwhelm others and to wait and give them space and time.
0: Right now, I'm kind of wishing I could sleep eighty percent of the time and work twenty percent of the time. I think I think the uh, working remotely is is getting to me a little bit. Uh, But uh, we've been talking about connections and how to collaborate with others. And Lina, your second song choice is related to that area.
1: Yes. So remembering the mantra that people either uh, show love or cry out for love. Let's remember that we all have this uh, universal need for love and. What is best then the Beatles? All you need is love for this.
0: Nothing you can do but you can learn how to be you in time. was The Beatles with All You Need Is Love, The Beatles becoming the first band on the podcast to have been picked with four different songs. So we were talking in the last section about connections and collaborations, um, but it's not just about the act of collaborating. It's also about who you're collaborating with and how diverse that group is. I've noticed, particularly from hanging around on LinkedIn, which is never a particularly good idea a lot of organizations are boasting about their current uh, dni initiatives uh, that you know they've they ranked in the top 20 of some survey or some such and yet when you speak to employees from that company or you hear stories you, you wonder whether the actual like the on the office floor those those changes are being felt um, as individuals how can we do more to highlight issues around diversity or push forward on them
1: so Absolutely, diversity and inclusion are very often uh, sort of greenwashed, not greenwashed, diversity and inclusion washed by companies in this sense. Uh, yet when it comes to individuals, I think we do need to do our own privilege check, which can be very painful and uh, difficult. There are tools for that. And uh, um, I recently actually also spoke about biases in uh, testbash Netherlands, Um, and um, there are tests to understand our own biases. Um, And when it comes to privilege, we have to acknowledge it that it's not a binary thing. It's not zero or one. We all have worked hard, yet for some of us, it was a little bit um, easier in a sense, even though we don't want to admit it, but we, we all have sections of our life which are easier. So when it comes to individual contributions, we all can be allies to each other and amplify voices. And the other part is just understanding that there may be some problems there. Because if we don't see it, we may say it does not exist. Yet in order to see it, we have to gain trust and connection with others and trust their experiences. When someone says, this happened to me, we shouldn't say, no, it didn't. Or, oh, with this person, I never had a problem. We should say, I haven't had an issue with that person, yet I believe you, I trust you. And um, there are lots of tips how we could as well handle microaggressions at work and in general, uh, be better allies.
0: Yeah, going back to LinkedIn, I think this is one of the recurring issues that I'm seeing is is that people who, who claim they have quote unquote solved their DNI issues or that they're, they're proud of, look, we've 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 done XYZ. Some of these people seem to be doing it purely for sort of of box ticking reasons, so they can say, hey, look, this really matters to us, but they've done it to get the badge. They've not done it because because they want to live and breathe it. And this is something similar to what we see with testing certifications, for example, where just the act of getting a certification doesn't mean necessarily mean that you are a better tester uh, you should want to be a better tester and maybe you choose to do certifications as part of that but certifications does not mean great tester and it's the same with your with your DNI initiatives you you really need to to live and breathe and mean what it is that you're trying to do
1: absolutely uh, so the the thing is that um, I have been in interviews <laughs> where people say oh yeah our company is fine when it comes to diversity and inclusion. <laughs> and then I, I cringe because mm. if you understand diversity and inclusion, you understand that it's a spectrum, it's never an end a goal that someone reaches. And I think a very good book for this is uh, Jennifer Brown's How to Be an Inclusive Leader, where she explains this uh, spectrum that uh, we go through different stages as well when it comes to uh, diversity and inclusion and on different topics, because there are so many aspects of diversity. It's not just one thing. So I may be an advocate in one of them, and I may be completely unaware of a different section. So um, the best leaders, in a sense, uh, should be the ones who have their ears open and hearts open as well to learn more. Uh, The companies do have quite uh, bad tendencies right now to just... um, boast about their diversity and inclusion efforts uh, which maybe is in a sense a, a start but we do need to put a lot of more effort and especially start with leadership levels and see how their leadership levels look like because if you if they're very homogeneous then maybe they're just saying one thing but they're doing another
0: Mm. And this is where diversity and and inclusion go hand in hand as well. Uh, It's kind of, to an extent, the little things in the workplace. So uh, I saw you quoted a tweet from Amy Weidner uh, from a talk about a month ago where she she was saying, if your company can afford to give everyone free beers on a Friday afternoon, then surely they can... You know, afford to put sanitary products in bathrooms, for example.
1: Yes. Um, and um, absolutely. Um, inclusion is something that I, first of all, did not really understand why it goes with diversity and inclusion. I was like, isn't that straightforward that when you have diversity, you have inclusion? Until I faced some painful inclusion problems uh, being a woman in tech that i thought i even internalized some of them so i even thought that someone joking that oh someone dimmed the lights in the presentation and then uh, saying um oh isn't it romantic lina and oh, me just being a little bit like what um and then when i was telling to a colleague they said you know this could be almost sexual gay harassment and we normalize these experiences so much until someone points it out. So I think when it comes to inclusion, uh, it's, it's, so, um, in our, it's so engraved in our society and the way things are that we don't even think that uh, we should ask for sanitary products, for example because we're so used to beer in offices. (laughs) And uh, we forget a lot of aspects that when we bring in diverse people, they also want to belong. They want to feel accepted. They shouldn't be laughed at because of their differences. They are bringing in power and strengths with their differences. And this is what a lot of companies are missing. So the main problem that's there in, in tech, especially, is actually inclusion. And I wrote article series uh, on inclusion and in, inclusion matters. And um, and then the second part, I explained some inclusion problems, uh, meaning microaggressions that happen on a daily basis. And when I wrote about them, uh, I did not think it's any kind of revolutionary it was something that I would face on a daily basis and yet a lot of readers reacted uh, in a way that they were shocked there was one um, developer I remember who who said that I have two daughters and I never knew these things happen and now I'm more aware of it so in order, first of all, to understand the extent of the problems, we have to open our eyes and, and ears as well and listen to others and trust their stories. And then we can at least grasp the extent of the actual problem.
0: Absolutely. And I'll put some links to those articles in the podcast notes again. Um, this is one of those areas that as a white male, I, I cannot pretend to speak about as an expert or from any degree of uh, i'm not far enough removed from the situation to to speak well enough about um it's worth mentioning that jennifer brown uh, as well as writing an excellent book has her own podcast called the will to change which is all about actually driving change in, in the in the workplace um i'm always always wary of recommending other people's podcasts because they tend to be better than mine but uh she's definitely worth listening to and we're going to speak more in the next section about the benefits that diversity can bring to the workplace but before that we're at the halfway point of the podcast this is your third song selection
1: Yes, so uh, this is a song that I really like, um, and uh, it's uh, by Anne Brun and Wendy McNeil, it's called Such a Common Bird. I think when we speak about diversity and inclusion, we can imagine sometimes being a a different kind of person, (laughs) yet there is this uh, line, or um, there are these lyrics in, in the song which say, we want freedom for ourselves, but we can't give it to each other. We want peace between nations, yet we battle with our lovers. So when it comes to diversity and inclusion, let's try to trust each other more. Such a beautiful message from such a common bird. We want freedom for ourselves, but we can give it to each other. We want peace. Nations, Yet we with our lovers. We're blinded by and try to get away. choking on ambition
0: From Anna Brun's duets album That Was Such a Common Bird with Wendy McNeil. It's always nice to get a bit of accordion on the podcast. We don't get so much on the playlist. <laughs> So we were talking in the previous section about diversity and inclusivity, um, which isn't just a cultural issue. It can actually have impacts on our testing too. Um, Lena, what sort of problematic biases can creep into our data uh, if we're not careful?
1: Oh, there's so many. Uh, So we have a lot of uh, horror stories. We had um, uh, bots that became racist within hours like day. Uh, We had products which are not uh, created having half a population in mind. Uh, But so this is where I think testers come as superhero teams who are super diverse and uh, bring in different perspectives. So I even would say that, yeah, the teams of testers are bringing in this diversity aspect and hopefully we can embrace it more. So one of the projects I got to work on is actually a chatbot. And um, just to explain a little bit about it. So it was a machine learning chatbot and uh, we had certain data that we would um, train this chatbot with. This data was created by our team. And with this chatbot, the data sets and the training data I was not happy with, even the communication style was based on the programmers' <laughs> communication style. I could even see this programmer speaking the way the chatbot was speaking.
0: Yeah, I think that's a massive challenge with anything that's built around algorithms. The, the strength of the algorithm is based on the data that's fed into it. So how, how do you, I think the answer is probably obvious given what you just said, but how do you get that diversity into your data?
1: So when I was working on the chatbot, I also was thinking about all those tools that use those huge data sets like Alexa. Um, And I thought that, you know, this is the power of the companies. They for sure are not making it open uh, because that's their moneymaker. Yet, I believe we really want to have uh, reliable algorithms. We need to make data sets open source. That's the way to go. If you have open source uh, data sets, then we could include different perspectives and create uh, more inclusive and diverse products.
0: We had a book that was recommended. This is turning to the all book podcast. <laughs> we we had a book that Mark Wintering uh, recommended on on a previous episode, uh, which was by Caroline Criada Perez called "Invisible Women," um, specifically focusing on yeah the the problems that happen when you when you base your data on male centric uh, properties and then try and just tweak it to suddenly also work for women and it's not that straightforward uh, open sourcing it's it, it's got to be a better way forward and we been talking specifically around around algorithms and AI and machine learning but it, it it's a, a wider issue as well in, in things like hardware I mean the You've mentioned some horror stories. I remember ones that I've seen where, for example, uh, hand dryers in bathrooms can't detect the hands of certain skin tones. And again, it's all based on the data that you are using to train with. I said in the last section, you know, how can individuals help? And as testers, I think making sure these cases get considered is a massive help.
1: Yes. And, you know, we have to reflect on what kind of teams we have. And this is another reason why diversity is so important. Because if we are all very similar to each other, we may not even think of certain test cases or or possibilities for the product. So sometimes the user may not be like us at all. And we have to embrace this as as testers especially and uh, think of how can we get their perspective in them? Who may use this product?
0: I swear, at least once an episode, I say, it's all a people problem. It's almost turning into the podcast catchphrase, but yeah, we need to make sure, yeah, we always need to testing, think about who it is that we're, uh, that we're building for. And I've accidentally transitioned very nicely into your fourth song.
1: Yes. So my fourth song is by the Killers and it's called Human. So when I was thinking, uh, what song should I choose for this? I think one of the main learnings for me was uh, when I worked on the chatbot that we cannot build very good chatbots if we do not understand human communication first. So we have to understand each other. And fun fact about the song is that um, the lyric of the song, which is Avi human or Avi dancer, is considered one of the weirdest lyrics of all the time. So but this is very suitable for a chatbot because they tend to speak a little bit weirdly. Cut the cord. Are we human? Or are we dancers? My sign is vital. My hands are cold. And I'm on my knees looking for the answer.
0: Amazingly, that's a first appearance on the podcast for The Killers with the song Human, which I absolutely agree. I do not know what that means. (laughs) And we don't always know what things mean. (laughs) I wanted to talk a bit about um, becoming comfortable with failure. It's not always easy to get things right. We've been talking about some lofty subjects today that are difficult to get right. But how do you get comfortable with the idea of, I'm going to have a go at this and it might work or it might not?
1: I think... The only way to get more comfortable with failure is to fail more. I I keep thinking of this uh, experiment that this uh, random, well, not random, uh, a, per- a person did where they decided to collect a lot of rejections because they struggled with rejection. So they created these craziest challenges for every day, like go to a donut shop and get a certain thing uh, created out of those donuts. What was most surprising to this person was that often people would ask why. And this is what he was not prepared for because he thought it will be a no. <laughs> but there's a lot of context here, actually. So if we want to get used to failure, we have to get ourselves into these situations. And uh, often they help us grow so much. I I remember joining dance classes, actually before the pandemic, and I always wanted to go dancing, and I went to Lindy Hop classes, which is a partner dance, and I care about connection, and I care about growth, yet in the classes, I realized I am bad at connection, and I was struggling with this growth. Uh, So the first month that I was going to classes, I was so upset after each class because I was not happy with my own performance. I thought I'm miserable. And this is when I sat down actually, and I would reflect (laughs) and I would think, okay, this is a good growth opportunity. And only after two months, uh, I started feeling more comfortable and I started realizing that it takes time and it takes lots of failure to get uh, to a more comfortable state.
0: Yeah, I don't think you can ever truly succeed unless you have failed along the way. Because uh, unless you have completely fluked it, you can't just stumble onto the exact correct way to do something. You need to have that that uh, guiding path along the way to go. Okay, I'm trying to get towards this goal, but this thing didn't quite work. But I can see why it didn't work, and now I can push back towards what I'm trying to do. it's interesting you, you mentioned the, the the donut experiment. I think my learning from that is that if you're preparing to fail, uh, the, the the biggest danger is you may have to actually prepare to succeed. You you may not be ready for for succeeding, and <laughs> actually that's that's the thing you need to uh, to get familiar with. Exactly. Of course, regardless of whether you fail or you succeed, there's going to be some sort of change, and change in itself can be inherently difficult as well. This comes back to what we talked about at the beginning. uh, That that obviously you've uh, you've you've moved around a lot. You've you've encountered a lot of change. Um, How can you get used to handling that change?
1: I don't know if you ever get used to handling the change. Maybe you just learn to manage it a little bit better, and you also learn to recognize it in yourself and others, and that you're resisting. If there's some kind of uncomfortability in you likely there's some resistance or defense, that means that something is triggering you. And this could come with change. Change is extremely difficult, and we all think that we're the final product, yet uh, we very rarely want to change ourselves. But that's the change we can actually uh, embrace the most, which is how we react, how we manage it, and also how we can help others to deal with it. And this we especially see in organizational change. Um, and uh, it can be very challenging and slow. <laughs> but mm-hmm. if we're there connected and uh, growing and in the mindset that we will support each other, it can do wonders. <sighs>
0: I saw a talk that you gave online in the last year uh, on on Testflix um, where you used a phrase that I really liked. Um, You said that in everything you do, you should be trying to embrace your authentic self.
1: Yes. So uh, I think I was chasing all those role models or what I should be. And a lot of times we live our lives thinking who we should be, we compare. Yet also, especially in the field of testing, I think our superpower is bringing our authenticity there, bringing all our diversity factors, bringing our experience. I remember even finding the the craziest bugs because i was for example uh, studying swedish while testing so i would just add a random word and then i would uh, uh, use my knowledge of a language to test it and then i found some crazy bugs just because i wrote something that nobody did because they would just write abc Uh, so i think i embracing authenticity is extremely difficult uh, yet there are so many areas as testers we can grow into as well. So I see uh, this role so magical because you could be more helping with requirement analysis. You could be even helping with infrastructure. You could be helping with non-functional requirements. It all depends on what you like. And for me, I do like advocating for quality a lot. And I'm a very poetic person. <laughs> and first, I would brush it under the carpet, yet... Learning to embrace it and embracing as well that I love people and I love helping them um, has been such a relief as well. You don't need to be someone else to be good at your job. Actually, you are good at your job because of all those vulnerabilities you have, that your imperfections are actually making uh, yourself better at your job.
0: Yeah, we should all strive to be the, the best version of ourselves that we can be. I, I feel like that's a film quote, but I'm not sure where that's coming from. But um, Lena, you've been uh, an amazing guest and the very best version of, of yourself that I, I could hope to see. Uh, before we wrap up, there is a, a fascinating final song choice from you. Uh, I have a lot to say about it. I'm curious what you've got to say about it.
1: Yes. So the last song is... um from a concert in Köln which was made in 1975 and it was done by pianist Keith Jarrett. The story there is fascinating and I think it links with failure so well because Keith Jarrett showed up in the venue in Köln and there was this almost teenager uh, organizer of the concert and Keith Jarrett looked at the piano and it was an old piano and he did not want to play it and the, the girl really begged him to do it. And uh, eventually he said, okay. And they recorded this concert. And uh, Keith Jarrett was doing improvisation and uh, and you can even hear in the recording his moans or that he's frustrated with that piano. Mm-hmm. Yet the sounds and the pieces that ended up coming from that recording, were some of the most beautiful (laughs) piano playing ever. So this is how sometimes failure and these conditions that we did not expect and they are maybe not as perfect um, can help us to create really magical things because we're creative and we're embracing this imperfection.
0: was the live and improvised sounds of Keith Jarrett with his concert from Cologne on January the 24th, 1975. The longest track we've had recommended to us on the on the podcast so far. Uh, part one of that is 26 minutes long. So you've uh, lengthened the podcast playlist somewhat. Oh. Um, I had also heard of that story before. There's a great article on the Grammys website about um, the story behind that album. Uh, there's so many little, little things that, that didn't go right for Keith on that night um, for example, they thought they had managed to find another piano, but then they couldn't transport it to the venue because it was raining and they were worried that the rain would ruin the, the new piano. And he went out for a dinner, uh, reservations before the concert. And for some reason, he was served last. So everyone else was eating their food. And he was like, I've got to go on stage in 30 minutes. Bring me my food. And yet he manages to, to, to turn this all into uh, yeah, a stunning uh, live performance. And that brings us towards the end of our time to get on the island, Lena. Thank you very much for your five song selections. You've picked a few books along the way. You've name-checked a few that I mentioned in the show notes, but you get to pick one that will accompany you officially to the island and that will join the bookshelf on the island. What's the book that you've come up with?
1: It's uh, Jean Baudrillard's Simulacra and Simulation. I got to read it when I was at university in my philosophy class, and uh, it blew me away because it basically talks about the concept of simulacra uh, and simulacra are copies that depict things that either had no original or that no longer have an original. And simulation is the imitation of the operation of a real world process or system over time. Well, what is magical here is uh, the stories that this book provides, which basically say if there's a building and we collapse it and then we transport it to the different location and rebuild it using the same material. Is that the same building? And there are lots of moral questions like that and uh, the relationships between reality, symbols and society are being examined. So it was a mind-blowing book for me and I think it's uh, quite a tough book as well. So I would have time on an island so I could read it multiple times and uh, analyze it.
0: For as much as we've got some great books on that bookshelf, um, that is a a classic and one that um, can while away many hours on the island. It has been added to the list on Goodreads where you can find... All the previous books that guests have picked and the songs are on our Spotify playlist, which is also linked in the podcast notes. And there we have it. It's been a fantastic time with you, Lena. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. And if people want to get in touch with you um, before we all get back to the real world, where are the places they can go to do that? So
1: you can find me on Twitter as Lena or I'm on LinkedIn with my name and surname. And I as well write... Um, and my website is qualitybits.tech.
0: Obviously, 2021 is currently shaping up to be a lot like 2020. Uh, let's, let's hope we're on, on the way back to, to some degree of normality. But do you have anything uh, in the pipeline for talks, either online or in person, or anything you're hoping to do?
1: No, I do not right now. I really miss real-life conferences. So mm. <laughs> hopefully those happen in the future.
0: Well, I've got a list of recent podcast guests, so I need to tick off as as uh, having met and said hello to in good li- in real life. So I'm looking forward to the chance to do that soon. Fingers crossed. But in the meantime, that's it. Another month. That's the first quarter of the year gone. Uh, we're up to uh, the Easter festival period now. So enjoy yourself if that gets you some time off work. Otherwise, we'll be back again at the end of April when we've got an episode that will coincide with the Ministry of Testing's Exploratory Testing Week. look forward to speaking to you all then. And uh, for one last time, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Lena.
1: Thank you. It was my pleasure.
0: And I'll speak to you all again next month. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Tester's Island Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Neil Studd. The music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island.